0: failure is not an option what difference at this point does it make nobody said it was going to be fun This is Real Talk, a fearless, poignant, and intrepid show where truth speaks louder than words. This is Real Talk with your host, Audrey
1: Rousseau. of this world so we live on the run It happened before it will happen again. It's just a question of when. Time's
0: a luxury we don't have. Hi, everyone. It's Carrie Lake. You're listening to Audrey Russo on Real Talk Radio. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, this is Audrey Russo, and you're listening to Real Talk. Hamas is at it again, but are the atrocities they're committing in line with their charter? Well, we're going to discuss this and more with my next guest, direct from South Africa. Dr. Peter Hammond is the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship, the founder and chairman of Africa Christian Action the director of the Christian Action Network, and the chairman of the Reformation Society. He's the author of several best-selling books, including Faith Under Fire in Sudan, In the Killing Fields of Mozambique, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots, and the Contemporary Threat. It's my great pleasure to give a Real Talk welcome back to Dr. Peter Hammond.
1: Welcome back, Peter. Thank you very much, Audrey. Good to be back with Real Talk. Well, it's great to have you
0: back with us. And, well, <laughs> Hamas is at it again. They attacked Israel. And, of course, uh, it really does have nothing to do with land, as they often falsely claim their attacks have to do with their charter and their raison d'etre, their reason for being, to eliminate the Jews whenever, wherever they find them, according to the Charter of 1988. After the brutality that they displayed
1: to the world,
0: why are so many still supporting Hamas?
1: Well, I just went through some of those demonstrations, uh, passing through Durbanas, up at a major event in KwaZulu-Natal. Our good friend, missionary pioneer uh, Erlo Stegen, passed away uh, just at the end of last month. And so we had a massive fu- uh, funeral last week. Um, 12,000 people at the funeral for Erlo Stegen, and uh, an incredible event. There was two rows of just chiefs there, the Zulu royal family, so many people paying tribute to this great apostle to the Zulu. But on the way out, I saw demonstrations in Durban with people with the Palestinian flags and uh, condemning Israel. Apparently Israel, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, just started attacking people in Gaza, and uh, no context, no news, nothing about Hamas. But they're all flying their flags and wearing their scarves. And so I believe this is happening all over the world that there's a massive outrage that Israel is defending itself and fighting back. Apparently, you shouldn't. Um, you should just lie down and be a doormat and uh, uh, let people kill you and your people. So uh, there's selective outrage out there from a bunch of people I think are somewhat brain dead. But you'd be also encouraged how many people around South Africa are putting up Israeli flags and Israeli colors and posting on Facebook and putting outside their churches and so on, we stand with Israel. And there's there's certainly a lot of love for Israel here amongst Christians in Cape Town, but there's an enormous amount of hostility as well, and that comes from the Muslims and the communists. Mm. So, you know, the usual suspects, we shouldn't be too surprised. Somebody made an interesting observation that, The four colors of the Palestinian flag, which is being flown around by the Hamas people, are um, the same colors of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation. They're coming from death and plague and uh, all the rest of it. So intriguing that. And um, it seems that there's a lot of people who love those who hate Israel. And there's surprising support for Hamas. But what bothers me particularly is the hypocrisy. And uh, first of all, I hear that President Joe Biden says, we have Israel's back. And, well, certainly the United States of America taxpayers have been supporting Israel with good military support and so on. However, Joe Biden is funding those who fund Hamas. So Joe Biden released $6 billion to Iran, and Iran has supplied $1.8 billion to Hamas. And Iranian advisors are helping to train the Hamas fighters. And an American ally Qatar supplies $20 million every month to Hamas. And U.S. ally and NATO member Turkey supports Hamas enthusiastically. And then you've got China, who, as you know, the Democratic Party has built up dramatically, especially under Clinton and Obama, and a lot of technology transfer and shops, uh, jobs shipped overseas. Well, China is purchasing one dollar. 0.5 million barrels of oil per day from Iran. Wow! So wow. Iran has made 80 billion dollars revenue from oil sales, most of which goes to China. Iran is the biggest supply of oil to China, and China is their best customer. Wow! So China is funding Iran. Joe Biden's helping fund Iran, and Iran is funding Hamas. So let's not hear any of this garbage of "we have Israel's back." I think they've got Israel's back and all just stick the knife in.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hezbollah, of course, has begun their attack from the north. I think they were expecting it. Now, before 9-11, Hezbollah had killed more Americans than any other terrorist group in the world. Would you explain why these two Islamic groups, who really hate each other, would join forces to destroy Israel?
1: Well, it's mutual hatred. You know, the enemy of my enemy can be my friend, at least temporarily, I guess, But I think it's also because they share the common Islamic Jihad um, philosophy and uh, allegiance. You should also bear in mind that they both get funding from Iran. And this timing is so interesting because exactly 50 years after the surprise attack that led to the Yom Kippur War of 1973, and just as the deal of the century was about to be finalized between the State of Israel and Saudi Arabia as a common front against Iran, Wow. The series of vicious terrorist attacks, these surprise attacks by Hamas, derailed the peace accord and derailed the planned normalization agreement because uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel were about to normalize their diplomatic relations and form a common bond and front against Iran. Um, and now Hamas's terrorist attacks were timed perfectly to ensure intensified war because now Saudi Arabia can't be seen to normalize with Israel while Israel is defending itself and fighting against Gaza. And this just shows, it's what the Bible says. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, the Bible speaks about the way of peace they have not known. Islam keeps calling itself the religion of peace. And I think people would be well served by visiting the religionofpeace.com website. When I went on it just recently, religionofpeace.com had documented 44,000 deadly terror attacks by Islamic militants since 9-11-2001. And I can only say I'm so grateful to hear that Islam is peaceful and tolerant because <laughs> imagine if they were violent. <laughs> oh, could
0: you imagine? Uh, and and listeners, as I've mentioned in the intro, uh, th- there is a book that Peter has written that you have to have to understand what's going on in slavery, terrorism, and Islam, the historical roots and the contemporary threat. Uh, You need to get this. You can get it. And we'll tell you later on how you can. But you will understand what is going on. You don't need the news media to understand where these people are coming from, what their roots are, what their goals are. Uh, and you will learn it in that book. I just wanted to uh, go sidebar there for for a moment. Now, Iran, of course, is still the greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, which of course for some of us are saying, why would you hand why would you release money to them when this is still a fact? For the listeners who are not aware, would you share how how Iran is involved in the terror attacks in Israel, not just with Hamas, but then of course, with their proxy uh, Hezbollah. I mean...
1: Yes. Well, in fact, it was inevitable. Hezbollah was just probably waiting for Israel to deploy forces to the Gaza border so that they could then attack from north, you know, catch in between a two-front war kind of thing. And uh, Hezbollah has got much better funding and a, a lot more weaponry, including guided missiles. So... According to statistics, Hamas has 30,000 jihadist terrorists, 30,000 wow. in Gaza. And they've got 7,000 rockets and 300 anti-tank missiles. I think they've fired about 5,000 of those rockets into Israel just in the last few days. But those 300 anti-tank missiles are very disconcerting because if there's a ground offensive, and certainly the reason why Hamas filmed themselves kidnapping many human shields to take back as hostages into Gaza must be because they're wanting the Israeli Defense Force to come in after them because whilst they film themselves taking hostages and kidnapping people into Gaza, they're wanting the IDF to commit to a ground offensive into Gaza. This must be their goal. Uh Uh And now they've got these anti-tank missiles, which obviously are perfect for that sort of scenario in this concrete jungle that is Gaza. And um, the... Israelis are being put into an unenviable position where they have to respond, but whatever they do, they're going to be condemned. But this is the goal of terrorism. Terrorism is provoke, provoke, provoke. And when you hit back, then suddenly they start screaming, that's not fair. It's like the bully at school. who keeps pushing and pushing and tripping and stabbing and uh, giving you grief. And then the moment you lash back, they start screaming for the teacher to intervene because you've been cruel or you've assaulted them or something like that. Yeah, And that's the way the terrorists operate. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who seem to want to have the selective outrage. And it's no good getting outraged about a reaction if you're not going to be outraged about the terrorist atrocity that preceded it. And to hear people saying they're deeply concerned for the people in Gaza, well, how about this? Hamas collects $27 million in taxes from Palestinian people in Gaza, and Mm. they don't provide them any of the services that you think a municipality should. So Hamas is oppressing the people of Gaza, and they won't let the people move out. When Israel sends a warning uh, by SMSs and so on to get out of buildings because they're going to target it because it's being used to supply rockets or to fire into Israel or its Hamas base, Hamas won't let the people they're using as hostages and as um, human shields get out of the areas, and they, they literally force the people to stay so that they can show some bodies later and say, look what Israel did. They attack Israel, they pour thousands of rockets into Israel and the moment Israel fires back then they are able to say, look what they did and you know, please be selectively outraged and ignore the context and don't ask questions because facts can ruin a good story. So, (laughs) Hamas is getting a lot of money and Hezbollah is getting a lot of money and weaponry from Iran. Iran's actually training their fighters and I wouldn't just blame um, Iran. Qatar and Turkey, sadly, are also part of this. Remember, these are allies of America. The United States government supports these people. So if the U.S. government wants to be true and they say we have Israel's back, they should stop funding those who are funding Hezbollah and Hamas. Right, right. And the other thing to bear in mind is, do you know that the Hamas leadership, the top Hamas leadership, are not living in Gaza? So... These Hamas leaders are living abroad in luxury in Turkey and Qatar, on golf estates and uh, living off caviar and living a five-star lifestyle, and they're not suffering the consequences of their policies like the common people in Gaza do. So Hamas starts this war, Israel is determined to finish this war, but caught in the middle of the ordinary people of Israel and Palestine, mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to pay for the provocative atrocities of Hamas. And that's what Hamas wants. Sure. So, the people of Gaza should see Hamas as their real enemy, and they should stop voting them for them, because since 2007, the majority of the people in Gaza have been voting for Hamas as their municipal representatives, and, yeah. you know, that's very short-sighted, to put it nicely. Yeah, short-sighted, sure, exactly. What bothers yeah. me is mm-hmm. the scenes of abject joy, it seems, of people in Gaza dancing around with excitement while... Israeli hostages are brought back in shocking states, bruised, battered, bleeding um, on the backs of bikes and in golf carts and kidnapped in different ways. And then when rockets are being shot off, you can see these people getting so excited. So uh, what is it that can make people excited to hear of or witness some of these um, selfie videos that Hamas has been posting of decapitating babies in a kibbutz and going into nurseries and butchering babies and um, raping, stripping naked, beating up people, um, sitting on top of a half-naked woman on the back of a bucky and a a pickup truck and driving through the streets with their weapons in the air, shouting Al-Akbar, and there's a whole lot of people getting all excited and screaming Al-Akbar around them. What are we meant to think of that? And how are we meant to respect these people as a religion of of peace and tolerance when they behave like this, when there's atrocities that should at least shock people and anger and offend people who've got any kind of sense of decency. How on earth is it that this can be celebrated? So we're quite disgusted what we're seeing, but not all of us. There's a whole lot in South Africa, as I hear in Britain and America, who are celebrating Hamas's victory uh, and uh, who are uh, decrying Israel's counterattacks. And that seems so hypocritical and disgusting. what can one say? yeah, you, you
0: make a great point. It seems like the communists are great partners for uh, you know uh, the devout uh, Muslims, the jihadists, because the communists here uh, immediately after Hamas. Committed the, this barbaric act, or at least started the war here. But with these acts, immediately after that, they were calling for a ceasefire. So I guess they're doing the the hudna calling now for for Hamas. Is that it?
1: Yes. So um, I, I I thought Babylon B brought out a good perspective, <laughs> and they brought out a perspective there on uh, that uh, immediately after the um, imagine if immediately after Pearl Harbor. Uh, Emperor Horiyesha of Japan called for a ceasefire <laughs> and toleration and moderation. And, and yes. you know, this is the thing. You can't hit people hard and nastily and savagely and then start screaming, wait a minute, let's all be peaceful and tolerant and let's sit down and talk about this yes. and let's not overreact. Well, they wanted overreaction. The only reason you would attack people, including at this trance party, it, it was uh, quite bizarre watching the videos of – and. You could see the uh, paragliding, uh, the uh, motorized paragliders coming in in the sky and behind while you had these people involved in trance party dancing around a big Buddha statue and getting um, in, in quite a trance, doubtless they were on drugs and so on. And I wonder who on earth chose that place right next to Gaza for a uh, rock concert. But uh, mm-hmm. next thing these paragliders are coming and machine gunning these uh, people dancing at this rock party and they're fleeing while they're getting shot and Hamas pictures themselves even shooting people in the head who are crawling under their cars for safety and the savagery and the cold-blooded mass murder but the only reason you would do that and film that killing of civilians at some uh, party and uh, music concert or something the only reason you do that is because you're wanting to provoke a reaction and so it's extremely critical to then get all outraged when there's a reaction. Well, wasn't that the whole idea?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's what's it. What's the
1: reaction? Why would you do it otherwise?
0: Exactly. And, and what they do, the, the difference is a major difference, is that when Israel attacks, they're attacking Hamas. When Hamas attacks, they are targeting civil, innocent civilians. And in this case, with Israel, those that cannot defend themselves and this is this was shocked me to find this out. Now they've loosened this a, a for temporarily. But do you, did you know that Israel has the most strict gun laws, stricter than any in the United States, and only 1.5% of the population ha, has the ability to carry? So these people were left defenseless. It's well, that's outrageous. unacceptable.
1: Obviously, yeah. we should allow people to defend themselves. And I think the best model for fighting terrorism is that one should have an armed society the society should be completely armed because to defeat terrorism first of all you need to stop supporting states and ideologies and religions that inspire terrorism or fuel terrorism or mobilize or support terrorism right right which historically has been revolutionary france serbia which helped start the first world war the soviet union of course red china and now turkey qatar iran and saudi arabia who are definitely involved in supporting and financing terrorism. And uh, we then must have an armed population. We must have a population that is fully armed and trained, because terrorists are violent bullies. They're cowards. Yeah. And they tend to flee when they meet determined resistance. So in South Africa, we faced terrorism like this before. Uh, I grew up with this in Rhodesia, where terrorists would come and butcher missionaries, burn Christians, put them in a church and burn it down on top of them, um, hack farmers and their children to death, do all kinds of hideous things. And obviously this was motivated by communism. Now, when we fought back as Rhodesia, we were sanctioned by the world and we were condemned. And it just seemed, uh, so as a young boy, I really got to see how this works, that they can do anything to you, any kind of atrocities, even shooting down aircraft, cooking and eating the survivors of the aircraft disaster like they did with the Viscount disasters in 1978 and 79. And then the moment you fight back, they're all screaming blue murder, that, you know, there's unprovoked aggression. So the hypocrisy of the world was well um, captured by the pastor who gave the uh, deafening silence speech after the Viscount disaster massacre in Rhodesia, where he said, um, do we hear outrage?" to these atrocities from the Pope of Rome or from the Archbishop of Canterbury. He said, no, we don't. We are met by deafening silence. And he spoke about the cowardice and uh-huh. the hypocrisy of those who who will only condemn those who defend themselves but will not condemn the terrorists to attack us. Mm. So I know how it works. And our South African farmers, the Afrikaans farmers who are being tortured and murdered Still, and targeted by terrorists yeah. in South Africa today, um, there's no concern for them. But if, if one farmer fights back, Next thing, you get outrage all over the place and some brain-dead students at um, different universities across America start complaining about the uh, white racism, not concerned about the black racism that murders um, white farmers for no other reason than that they're white. So yeah. when we had one of our missionaries at the St. James Massacre who shot back, there were 1,500 people in the church, but when the terrorists attacked, hurtled hand grenades, machine gun, people, were killing people in the church... One person shot back, my friend, Charles, who is one of our missionaries, he's my deputy director at the time, and when he shot back and he wounded one of the terrorists, they fled. The attack ended. They, they broke and fled. He went outside and he fired at the terrorists who were waiting by the car with their assault rifles, waiting, I suppose, for people to flee out the church to get some more uh, victims. And Then they fled, totally drove away, leaving some blood trails behind. And it just shows armed citizens save lives. Terrorists prefer unarmed victims like that's why they came in to attack people at a party in a rock concert in the desert because they were pretty sure they'd be unarmed. Yeah. And ensuring that the general population has the right and freedom to obtain firearms and to carry will do more to end sporadic acts of terrorism than anything else. Right. When you have a high percentage of a country armed, trained and ready to resist, terrorism must fail. If you want peace, you prepare for war. That's Switzerland's model. Switzerland is a good example of an armed citizenry providing an effective deterrent attack. Nobody wants to attack Switzerland. Even during the First and Second World War, when Europe was killing one another by the millions, uh, nobody wanted to particularly attack Switzerland. They made a wide detour because Switzerland, an army of sharpshooters, on skis. Yes, yes. And <laughs> uh, that really helps. Now, I've been to Switzerland many a time, and you will see the people walk around with their guns. And, I've been in the homes and they're all armed. Now, as a man, you must be conscripted and you must be trained and you must have your weapons ready in your home. But if you're a woman in Switzerland and you want to shoot, the government will give you an assault rifle and a box of ammunition, not a box, a crate of ammunition, free, Wow. give you, um, because they want to encourage everyone, even the woman, to, to be shooting. And every Saturday, the hills are alive with the sound of gunfire because the national sport is shooting in Switzerland. And we all know about William Tell and the Crossbow. Well, they've now upgraded to much better rifles since since then. But the Swiss are sharpshooters on skis, and you don't want to mess with them. That <laughs> is the best assurance of protection from a terrorism and attack. Armed citizenry, trained and armed and ready to attack. Like, I don't know how many terrorists would want to attack uh, Christians in Tennessee or Texas where the people are well armed, for example. Right. I'd imagine that you'd have to be a pretty stupid jihadist to want to choose a Texas gun show or something like <laughs> that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the thing is, in Israel, everyone has to be able to serve in the military to send them home and then tell them that they can't have a weapon. When you are surrounded on every side with your enemy, uh, it, it's almost as if you were trying to make the people sitting ducks. And, you know, if you're a sitting duck, eventually someone's going to go duck hunting.
1: Well, yes, quite right. And I, I am concerned because... Um, as somebody who was for a time, even though I did most of my training in infantry, I did spend some time in intelligence on some of my military call-ups later in South Africa. It's hard to believe that a country with the sophistication of Israel with such a high surveillance and such a high amount of technology to protect it that Mossad could have really been taken by surprise, exactly 50 years after the Yom Kippur War. it's, It's very hard to imagine. And now we're getting reports that Egyptian Military intelligence warned the state of Israel twice before the upcoming uh, Attacks on the 7th of October that intensified uh, Escalation of the attacks that you expect massive attacks from Hamas Mm -hmm. and apparently even American military intelligence is reported by CNN and New York um, Times that uh, US military intelligence warned uh, Israel that intensified attacks should be expected from Hamas And, uh, and all ahead of time so one wonders what on earth going on and why they were caught so ill-prepared and how Hamas made such deep inroads. One wonders if there's corruption or what on earth happened. How can a country surrounded by enemies who are looking for the opportunity to wipe you off the face of the earth, why would they yeah. have been so ill-prepared on the anniversary of a time when uh, they suffered one of the worst reverses when Syria and Egypt attacked in 1973, taking advantage of the um, Day of Atonement holiday, yeah. which uh, had minimum mobilization. Yeah. Once enemies choose times that we least expect them to attack, and so one should know that they they like anniversaries. The
0: yes, as I do.
1: documented in my slavery terrorism Islam book. Yes. Uh, the September 11th is very significant to the Muslims because it was on the 11th of September in 1564, that um, the Islamic great siege of of, of of Malta failed and they fled. And uh, that, that was one of their worst defeats ever. After four months besieging the Knights of Malta, just a few hundred knights have stood firm and resisted 40,000 jihadists. And that was one of the worst defeats, followed in 1683 on the September the 11th, uh, outside the gates of Vienna, when the Turkish forces were about to assault Vienna, which is really at the heart of Europe, and the Polish Cossacks came out of the uh, hills and totally annihilated the Turkish um, besiegers. And that was also on the 11th of September. And so September 11th was a date very significant to jihadists. And therefore, you can see why those who were responsible for choosing the time and and place of the attack in uh, 2001, they chose a very significant date. And I think one's got to expect things like this. The First World War started with an assassination of the heir to the Austrian throne in Sarajevo on the anniversary of the most significant uh, um, battle defeats of Serbia in history. And here were terrorists from the terrorist-sponsoring states of Serbia at that time. And they chose a significant historic date. We've got to expect this of our enemies. Terrorists often choose very historic dates because... It's all armed propaganda, and there's a lot of symbolism in what they like to do. Yeah. So uh, I am very suspicious as to how it was, and I think that the people in Israel should ask some very serious questions. How did their leaders fail so abysmally at this time, and why were they so unbelievably slow in responding? Uh, it it was such a devastating attack, and it shouldn't have been that unexpected.
0: Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially from that direction.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Uh, we could get into this another time, but there's been talk about the deep state, not just... Do we have one here in the U.S., but they have one in Israel. So that would explain a lot of things. And listeners, if you want to know more about this, and you should, uh, this is why you need to get Peter's book, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots and the Contemporary Threat." So Peter, where can the listeners follow and support your excellent work and purchase all your books, including Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam? Where can they do that?
1: www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. And we've got supplies of these in North America at our Frontline Mission NA, NA short for North America. So our main website is FrontlineMissionSA.org. But if they want to order uh, books like Slavery, Terrorism, Islam, we got some prints in America to make it easier and cheaper to avoid the long shipping across the uh, oceans and the hemispheres. And this Slavery, Terrorism, Islam is endorsed by Islamic jihadists. They gave me a death threat fatwa for producing the book and so we produced a second edition that was double the size and a third edition that was three times the size because if they appreciated that much and here are my thesis of my book is Islam is violent and intolerant and they proved me right by giving me a death threat fatwa for producing the book. So with that kind of endorsement I believe this book is one of our most uh, successful bestsellers and I've got Lots of charts and appendixes and uh, lots of examples, particularly uh, from Nigeria and from Sudan and through history, showing what, how the caliphs operated and what the reformers said about Islam and how they're resisting Sharia in Nigeria and uh, so many uh, insights on uprooting terrorism and their role in slavery. The only place in the world you will still find slavery today are in some Muslim countries. And I mean legal, openly practiced. And so... Human trafficking is the worst in the Muslim Middle East, and we in Africa know all about this. We know about terrorism, we know about Islam, and we know how to fight and defeat it, as my friends in South Sudan managed to even separate from Islamic Sudan and break away from Sharia law as a result of the successful war of independence there. So they will get all this in slavery, terrorism, Islam... It's a 300-page book with huge amounts of photographs and documentation and, as I said, endorsed by Islamic jihadists who gave me a death threat. (laughs) Yes, and as always, I'll have those links in my
0: after show, which is on the live show page. Just go to AudreyRusso.com, click on the on-air button, and right under the show description you'll find all the links and info you need to follow Peter's work. Thanks so much again, Peter, for taking the time to share your brilliant assessments with us. We look forward to your return to the show. Until then, may God bless you, your work. And may God save America. Bye for now. Amen. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thank you.